We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We love you, Arsenal. We do. We love you, Arsenal. We do. We love you, Arsenal. We do. Oh, Arsenal, we love. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Ink Gunner. Heard that quite a lot, second half at the Etihad. It's not the first time we've heard that quite a lot in the second half in Manchester. Uh, this not quite as bad a day as that, although maybe a worse day than that um, in the sense that there was a hell of a lot more on the line this time. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it may be best that I don't invoke it, but uh, we did hear that quite a lot as Tim will attest uh, at the, during the 8-2 at Old Trafford. Not 8-2-4-1, so that's 50% improvement, but but a bit of a grim day. Um, a little, little, little ray of sunshine on a grim day. I will say that Andrew over at Arsblog uh, he and James and Andrew Allen donated their full um, capability this month to the fundraiser, adding 50,000 euros to take the fundraiser over 411,000 pounds. So while everybody wants to hear about the football, or maybe you don't, maybe this is why you'd rather hear about anything but the football, uh, it would be remiss if I did not thank Andrew and Andrew and James and just uh, everybody who has done the incredible work. And we will certainly, um, I think, hear some thank yous uh, coming from the foundation themselves in the near future. So, we move, as they say. Um, it is a bit of a grim day. And and I just want to say this. You know, we, we did our instant reaction, and I, I dipped into the Discord that we have for our Patreon, and that, that place is unvarnished at times. And the thing that I found interesting is just the array of emotion in there. Some people really wanted rage. They wanted to hear us rage. They wanted to hear anger and outrage and fury. I have to confess, I never got to rage because I just felt dispirited and a little bit resigned early on in that game and basically um, almost going into it. I saw a lot of people, in fact, Tim and I had an engagement on Twitter where I said, you know, I wish we had done the business in the last few games because then this wouldn't feel so terrifying. It would feel like we had a little, we had a little um, margin for error. But Tim said, no, I, I feel the opposite. Now I don't care. You know, it just kind of feels like it is what it is. And, and I do sort of think by full time, there were a lot of shrugging of shoulders rather than gnashing of teeth and raging at the outcome. So it'll be interesting to measure the emotion, 
but we also need to talk about the football. And we will do all of that with Paul, who you can find on Twitter, Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Okay, better late than never. And you can find uh, Clive on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And you can find Tim on Twitter at Dominator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. It's full boat. Full boat. Haven't done it in a while, and I'm just thrilled that we get a chance to. Tim, I'm going to start with you. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for your phenomenal support. The away fans, obviously, in good voice. And there is something about getting slapped that makes you want everyone to hear that you still love your club and get behind them, right? It's almost like mm-hmm. if it's 1-1 and you can see the late goal, there's more grousing than if it's 3-0 and you just want the club to know that you love them. But let's not do the what was the atmosphere at the Etihad thing. Let's do it this way instead. Before we get into the football and how we got here, what is your prevailing emotion today? What is your prevailing emotion as you think about this season, the journey we've been on, and how it, it, we've we've reached a cliff? You know what it almost reminds me of, you guys? You know in the cartoons when the character runs off the cliff, but he runs like a few extra feet and then pauses and then falls? You know what I mean? It almost feels like we ran off the cliff after Liverpool, West Ham, and Southampton, but we were still, we hadn't fallen yet. And then then we realized there was no cliff underneath uh, underneath us yesterday and we fell and we fell hard. So what's your, what's your emotion? Do you connect with rage today? Where, where are you at? Yeah, no. So I, um, <laughs> I, I, I put an analogy in quite poor taste in a, in a WhatsApp group with some friends, which, um, I think it's only right to share, which is, Oh, oh God. All right. My editing <laughs> no, no, skills no. are not great. So careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, I said, I had the feeling of visiting a dying grandparent, mm. um, where <laughs> you just like, want to get it over with just before kickoff um the person i was standing next to kind of said to me uh tim how do you see this going and i said D- do you really want to know mm. and he went oh go on then i said i think this is going to be over by half time um i think they're going to absolutely slap us because i can see how they're playing and i can see how that we're playing and i don't see that bridge being ga- <laughs> that gap being bridged so I, I was very very prepared for this this is pretty much exactly what i expected from this game so i can't feel rage about it because and, and i wasn't um, I wasn't just protecting my feelings by saying and thinking that. In fact, I didn't say it to that many people. I just felt it. And you know what I said to you, Elliot, after the West Ham game, I, I had that feeling after Anfield. I was just like, I think this is going to slip away. I just I just had that feeling. Even though you can contextualise a draw at Anfield, albeit from a good position, I just thought this is just isn't what teams that win the league do. And I, I don't, it just doesn't look like we're ready for... Um, for what April means when you're going for the league title. April's just different. It just is. We talked about this months ago. So I was expecting and anticipating all of this, and I did not feel nervous at all going into the game because I I fully expected this. Now, my preoccupation, I think you guys all put it brilliantly on the instant reaction, which was about, like, don't let this define the season. Don't go quietly into the night. Like, even if um, the aim is, let's try and get it to the last day. Let's try and get it to the last week. City have got some tough fixtures in the last seven days of the season. Like, let's push them at least. And let's, and, and, you know, even if if they go and win every game, like, bully for them. Like, no one cares about Manchester City. Um, You know, they, well, they don't. Like, no one cares about Man City. Um, And there's a reason no one cares about them or has any depth of feeling about them because, they're a machine, basically. There's not very much that's human about them. So um, my my preoccupation now is that like 
there's definitely an extent to which this game has been hanging over everyone for a while. Clive and I were talking about this before. I think the home game was hanging over us. I think this game was hanging over us. I have some regrets that we have had big tactical issues going into both games against them. The first game was very much we'd run dry um, after the kind of Eddie Nketiah thing and Trossard hadn't quite come into the team yet and yeah. and changed things. That took another week or two to take hold. And this time, like, we've got the Saliba thing and we haven't cracked that at all um, at this point. So I've got some regrets about that. And, like, I'd love to have really seen us play City in October or November um, when we were hot and they were not. Um, but you know, we, we, we didn't get that. So really my preoccupation is all about Tuesday, set this right, set the tempo right for the rest of the season. City are going to win the league. I think we, we can all see that, but let's not let them win it by 10 points. Let's not let them have a procession to it. Let's, let's push them because they've got big games coming up. It could happen. And even even if it doesn't, even if none of that makes a blind bit of difference, how we go into this summer could. Um, it really could. So let's not let that happen. I agree. And I said this on Twitter, and some people said that it, I was making excuses. I didn't mean it as an excuse, not even remotely. There are no excuses for failing to show up that way in that kind of game. But I, last season, the Spurs game got rescheduled. And it got rescheduled to a moment where the wheels were just about coming off. We were just barely keeping it together. And injuries played a role in that. And, and it didn't go well for us. And ironically, Rob Holding was sort of at the center of that experience. This is a rescheduled game. And I said, I think there was a point in this season when we could have gone to the Eddie had and competed with City. But it's not this point. The way they are playing in this moment combined with the way we're playing in this moment were, was the wrong cocktail for us to be playing them. And we wanted to be in the big game. The disappointment for me is that we went out with a whimper. We went out with a whimper. And I think if the players look at this, it won't be that they lost the big game. It'll be that they were never in the big game. And that's the next hurdle. Because, you know, I think Mikel is right. You know, he said... Uh, someone asked him, I think, in the post-match interview, do you have to be perfect to beat Man City or do they have to have a down season to to win the title? And he said, well, we've been here all season. We've been leading the table all season. You know, if we had beaten West Ham, if we had beaten Southampton, we don't actually have to beat Manchester City to win the title. So uh, this is a bit of an own goal in some ways, but but I just think the timing of this was wrong. And Clive, when you when you look at the way the game started, Mikel said this, the way they were able to go from the back to being in front of our goal so quickly. You know, everybody thinks about Pep Guardiola and positional football as like advanced calculus. Some of this was just arithmetic. Long balls, win the duel, away you go. Beat the first man pressure, run it up the pitch, and you're immediately in front of their goal. We couldn't mark De Bruyne and we couldn't live with Holland. And football actually doesn't have to be complicated. It was that simple. And I think... It won't be a fun night for Rob Holding to revisit if he watches this film. But I think there were a lot of players that just got basic assignments wrong. Do you have any explanation for, especially early on, how easy it was for them to just go from being deep to being in front of our goal in one one pass or one run up the pitch? Oh, this is my... This, I'm glad you asked me this question. <laughs> so, <laughs> Finally, I got a question right. One that he's going to answer. I'm, I'm going to answer this one. I, when, me and Tim already had a pre-pod 
right? And um, and I was saying to him, due to people like him and others, I've, I've been to lots of games this season. And the first time I felt a little bit uneasy about Arsenal was the Brentford game. I just checked the numbers today. They played over 60 long balls that day uh, into Ivan Tony. And when you look at Ivan Tony's shoulders, they're, they're, they're incredible, right? And I actually thought, Saliba got a bit of stick that day, but I remember saying, I'm glad we had Saliba because I don't think anyone else could have held him that day. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, the, and, and that was the first time I saw stretched out. Everton did something similar. We beat them 4-0, but trust me, in that first half, they were decent. And we scored a goal for half-time and ran away. And so everyone's talking about our line height, but for me, it's not the line height per se, it's the distance between our front man and our back man. And the distances we have to cover in centre midfield. And what's that uncovered? And so I first started ranting about second balls, didn't I, for a few weeks. Second ball, we've got to get better. Second ball's got to control the game, control the game. And then I started to change my thought process again. And looking at the fatigue in our players, and looking at the fact we had an injury, looking at the fact that our fourth choice centre half is having the most touches in the game. I thought and we're having build-up issues. We're moving our centre mid to the right-hand side. I'm thinking, we've got to change again. We go, so we play a 3-2-5 or a 2-3-5. We have a 5-plus-5 five five system. And all I was saying to people was, it should be a 6-plus-4. We've got to have more people behind the ball to create a level of coverage in the central areas rather than playing our 2-8s really, really high. And you are now asking them to run backwards. So as you were watching this game last night on your TV screens or if you're in the ground, when you saw our midfield three running backwards consistently, that tells you we have a problem. You know, that tell, that's back to, I said it before, that's back to Sabias and Elneny running backwards across big spaces in Emery days. And the big trick for our team has been the distances by which we play in, the fact we've got five-a-side technicians, agile ball carriers, wing forwards that look fantastic in small spaces. What's happened is teams have worked out. If you go long enough so you can get the second ball and you can stretch them out. And when they're stretched out, we can athletically beat them and challenge them. We can't challenge their technique. We can't challenge their relentlessness. If their relentlessness drops off and their technique is then challenged, you become a 50-50 second ball game. It becomes a one-on-one game and our best one-on-one defender is sitting in the stands. And, and that's what's happened to our team. And so you have a choice to make. And this is my one critique. And this is something that's, it maybe it's how I look at football. And you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatist earlier and I would have, I would have locked the back door. I would have a look at the game. When you get to big games, have a look at them. You know, don't just dive out. Have a look at them. Look at what they're trying to do and then impose yourself. But our manager, he's he, he changed all our seasons by being courageous, starting fast starts, going at teams. And I've enjoyed those days, so I can't critique too much. But when you come to these games in April, I would like to see a touch more pragmatism. I would like to see another player in midfields in a slightly deeper starting position to make sure we can create combinations and connections. I would have gone a four triple two type system, two in front, two wide men, and two false nine centre fours in Odegaard and, and Jesus connecting each each wing side. There are things you can do. People can say back three. People can say what they like. But in the end, we were too brave and we got picked off 
in the central areas because we overpressed and they went over us. And I'm afraid we haven't got the ability at this moment in time to consistently control those game states. And I'll, I'll level you. People are gonna gonna wax lyrical about Pep, but let's be honest. Pep did in this game what basically they've been doing to us since Saliba went out. This isn't new. Leave Rob holding, press everybody else, let him have all the ball, make him hurt you, go long, and and take advantage of the, the lack of mobility, quality, control in the back line without Saliba. And, and, and it's worked in all the games. It just so happens that City are a level above, seven levels above any of the opposition we faced. And so it really hurt us in a way that other teams haven't necessarily been able to. Um, I, I do... I do think that like this, so this isn't about mentality, it's about talent, but it's also about mentality in this respect. You talked about courage, Clive. I think we lack courage in one way. I don't think the players believed they were going to win this game. And I think what happened is they were terrified of the transitions. What happens if we lose the ball? Terrified of it. Odegaard gave the ball away sloppily once, right? And they almost score from it. Um, and I think as a result, we just didn't pass the ball. Extra touch, Easy pass. Where was Shaka? Where was Odegaard? They never got the ball. That's partly their fault. It's also because nobody wanted to play vertical passes between the lines. Partly because City are very well organized and their press is good. But look where we went. We wound going right. The one place you shouldn't go when you're pressed, out to the touchline where you have no angle and you can't get out. We took the easy passes and City killed us. But, but Paul, I mean, McKellar had made a decision. I'm not going to be wise after the fact. He made a decision I said I thought was the right one. He stuck with holding. He went with the 11 best players we had available in their 11 best positions, plus Rob Holding. But when push comes to shove, Rob Holding was not up to this. And, you know, love him, as I think a lot of people do, for who he is as a person, who he is, as a, you know, in the group. As a footballer, he was not up to this level. And it was getting very unpleasant to watch the way he, the way he was struggling through it. At some point, you look at the manager and you say, you don't get to replay this game. You, you don't get to decide when City get a second goal and kill this game. Okay? Granted, maybe he's offside, maybe he's not offside, whatever. I mean, they could have had three other ones. They could have had a penalty on party in the, in the what, f- fifth minute? I mean, th- there were other calls that went our way. The, the offside one, I'll leave that to people who draw lines and see angles. Did Mikel need to change it? Like early, like 30 minutes recognizing we we are we're going to get shredded if i stick with this player in this position this formation because i i had we gone in at one nil which we very well could have coming out of the half the same way was only going to yield one result so should he have changed it when should he have changed it? yes yes he should have uh, he seemed committed to not having a plan b uh, he's obviously smart enough to have a plan B. He's had plan B for other teams. He could have started with plan B, but he went with plan A, which was we'll match up what we do against your, what you do. Uh, we talk about this in the instant reaction. Um, and our stuff against your stuff, we're one of the best pressing teams in the league. So we will press your back line. And Pep said, come press my back line. Um <laughs> And see what happens to you. And it was clear we were chasing shadows. And I think, for me, the whole game comes down to we pressed them, it didn't work. They pressed us, it worked. 
They played out from our press, as Clive pointed out, often by going over the press, um, which gives you all sorts of options going around it when your opponent pressing you thinks you might go over it too. Um, and the other way around, they pressed aggressively as they did in the second half at the Emirates. And we got basically no joy playing through the press. There were no streaking counterattacks. There was no getting them, getting at their back line because they were all pushed forward. If you think of what we do with our pressing, it's very aggressive. Um, we back up the first two guys with basically everybody else in midfield and you have party all on his own and a couple of centre-backs <clears throat> and huge amounts of space and you wonder where was Odegaard and Xhaka in this game. They were chasing around their back line and the ball was going over their heads. And we did, like... I get it if if Arteta thought we could get at them. So I woke up this morning thinking, hmm, I wonder what if my analysis, I still feel that holds. And open up my phone, there's an article from Michael Cox saying uh, we didn't know how to press them and Pep knew how to outplay our press. And what he says they did that was a little different was they kept four guys back, not the move the guy into midfield, not the John Stones into midfield thing while they were being pressed. They yep. kept four, but so that gave them one more guy than we were expecting. Um, and that was enough. Uh, it seemed so basic. Mikael must have seen it, but he was committed to this approach. He must have known what the difference was. And you could see us. You'd see Odegaard chasing the guy on the right, over to the goalkeeper, over to the left, and... They just move the ball around to the side and then pop it over the top, and off they went. And like that, you know had, what I knew there was a problem that isolated Sec everybody. Yeah, second minute, they have it in the back line. De Bruyne drops all the way back to 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 Holland. Gundogan comes into the half space. Yep, they've got a back four, so we go man to man. They give it to Gundogan, and no one's got him, and he just runs it all the way to the attacking third. Like literally, Gundogan just carries the ball. Second minute, past yep. everybody, all the way to the attacking third. And like, and by pulling our press forward, it meant the guys behind them were isolated one v one and one good run. Like Michael Cox makes a brilliant point, which is, you know, you, you got Kevin De Bruyne in midfield thinking, uh, all right, well Gabriel's going to press it if it comes to me, so I'll just make the move to the other side, to the other centre back where Gabriel can't follow me. So you have these really clever guys: Gundogan, Silva, uh, De Bruyne basically isolated 1v1 and they just got to make a clever run to a place the other their marker is not going to follow them and so much of that game explains itself yeah Th their clever midfield running killed us in combination with Haaland always being able to win the knockdowns yeah T um tim <clears throat> would you well first of all like the opening goal it's a long ball it's real look Give Holland his due. He uses his size and his quality to pin holding and first time it to De Bruyne. I think Party is unsure whether he should be tracking the run or trying to help with the long ball. He's run past. De Bruyne's in. And then Ramsdale, my opinion is he should do better from there, but it's really well hit. It starts outside and, and comes back. It, it would have been an excellent save if he made it, and he made many excellent saves in the game. But that first goal, you know, sets them on their way. <clears throat> I'm I'm curious why you think we I mean all they did was push De Bruyne up a little bit 
and we treated it like it was nuclear fusion, like we, mm. nuclear physics. We had no answer for it whatsoever. So what what do you think was the cause of why that little tweak in particular hurt us? And I'll, I'll ask you the the holding question since I don't think we have a clear answer on it. At, at what point would you have said, I got to call time on this. I have to step in mm. and do something to, to bail this guy out and bail the team out. Yeah, yeah. We we talked about um, this in the stadium about holding and after about half an hour, we were just like, he's got to come off and uh and it's uh, and again like i've tried to keep in mind you know don't just pin it all on one player and it's not just all about one player there is definitely a chain reaction um that that is not all holdings fault um at the same time there is i think a significant quality drop off but he kept just getting attracted out they kept fishing him out to the halfway line he kept going fishing and against Holland, I, I, you know, I don't think he can do that against Holland. I think that's where, um, you know, the coach is probably guilty because you've got, you got, you know, the coach didn't feel funny about trying to protect him in the Southampton game by putting party next to him, um, not in a defensive sense, but in a possession sense. Yeah. Like that's got to be quite awkward to do as a coach to say, actually, your passing's not very good. I need to get someone to come and help you do that and it's kind of the same with him going like just he there there was an attack at one point in the first it might have been the one where Holland put it wide where you'd put your house on him scoring and we were looking at it and we were like holding was barely in our half that the whole time that move unfolded and it's like what do you think you're doing like where do you think you're going like sometimes as a player as well, you have to respect you and understand your own flaws um, as a player, uh, whether they're athletic or or otherwise. Like sometimes you've just got to do that. Um, and I'm sorry, I just didn't see him doing it. I just didn't see him learning. I just kept seeing him trying to go into contact on the halfway line, trying to go into and and it was you know maybe he was told to do that. I don't know. Um, you know maybe he was, but. There was yeah. one particularly bad one where Holland was like on the halfway line and he went like running out towards him. It was never close to getting there. And Holland no. slips De Bruyne in again. It was like... It, exactly. You know. And you've got to, even if you've been told to do that by your coach, you've still got to recognize when, oh, actually, I, do you know what? I'm definitely not going to get there. So on this occasion, I recognize that it's bad process, that I'm not there. But now I'm not there. I've got to sit off and I've got to do something else. You've got to show that game intelligence. But in, in terms of the tweak that City made, I do think it was reasonable because like one of the things that I think teams have identified is if the, we've got like party in the centre and Xhaka like pushed up into the forward line, there, there's quite a big distance between those two things. And, yeah. and essentially what City said is just said, okay, we'll just stand behind party. And look, this, this is the next evolution in our team, I think. I think basically what, and I completely understand it, this season's been about muscle memory. It's been about refining plan A so that you can do it in your sleep. That takes time. You've got to go through this. You've got to do this. But what you see with City, and you didn't see it with City under Pep straight away. It took a couple of years to happen. But they do tweak. They tweaked for us. Like They weren't embarrassed about playing Kyle Walker. Like Kyle Walker barely plays anymore. But they looked at what we have on the left in Martinelli, a killer one-on-one and you know a really, really quick player. And they said, okay, we'll just put Kyle Walker there because he suits this game. And they had a deficiency as well. We all thought they were going to be playing Laporte at left back because Ake was out. And, you know, some of us thinking, oh, Saka will have Laporte. They didn't put him out. 
they put, they didn't put him out for the same reason that we were excited about the prospects of him being out. Now it's different for Manchester City because they can just mag- magic up Kyle Walker from the reserves, um, and we obviously we don't have that that kind of same strength in depth. But that that's to me that's that's just a learning point, and that's the next evolution of our team, particularly when we're playing Champions League football next season. This season has been like template football and I don't use that pejoratively I've been using that word all season and I've been using it to describe our good performances because we've had a template where we go into games and go if we do that we got an excellent chance of winning this game but it's become a bit frayed around the edges we've lost key personnel other teams have worked some things out next season what I really want to see is that kind of you know like when we played Tommy Asu at left back against Liverpool Brilliant, brilliant innovation. Like me and Clive were talking about this before, like teams are banking on getting second balls against us at the moment. Liverpool wanted to do that as well, but we played Tomiyasu. So there was no second ball because Tomiyasu wins them all. And we knew that. And so just stuff like that or little tweaks, that's what I'm looking for next season when we go into games where we can you stay within your principles, but you can surprise teams tactically. We're not there yet. We can't. And and I think that's why Arteta's had some reticence about experimenting um, to get around the Saliba absence. I, you know, I think there are things he could have done and we'll go into those, but I do understand why there's definitely a timeline where he tries one of those things and it doesn't make any difference. Maybe even makes things worse. It, it certainly underlines the fact that these these teams that have been the titans of the Premier League the last couple seasons, they got there, I mean, adding Holland mattered, but they got there not so much with who they added up front, but who they added at the back. We saw what Liverpool became with Van Dyke. We've seen what City had become when they upgraded their center backs. I mean, you can sort of remember the tail end of the Vincent Company years. They weren't like this, you know? Um, and losing Saliba has has changed not just the way we defend, but the way we build play, the confidence with which we we cover space. Clive, the, the thing that's really interesting to me, though, look, we conceded two to Liverpool, two to West Ham, three to Southampton, and four to City. Fine. We couldn't play any football. And that is the thing that I don't think we've seen. You know, even in those prior games, we played a hell of a lot of good football and we, we created a hell of a lot of threat. In this game, we couldn't, we couldn't find the connections at all. And in a weird way, there wasn't a lot of football played in this game. City passed it around at the back, then went long and we're in. It wasn't one of those games. You know those games we used to play against them where they had us pinned deep in our defensive third and we're just hemmed in there for 40 minutes at a time? There wasn't any of that. It was kind of a broken play game. Long balls. We we were at the back. They were at the back. Then turn us over, hit it long, and we're gone. Like, where did the football go? And, and, and what did they do or what did we not do? Where, all right, fine, we were vulnerable at the back, but we never... We never really hurt them. We never played much football. We couldn't connect to Odegaard or Shaka or Jesus. Um, and yet you know, and, we'd like 48% of the possession. Yeah, we had the ball. We just didn't play. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like both, both teams shared the ball about equally. But the, the, the threat that was created with that equal possession was night and day. Where'd our football go? <laughs> so how do you create threat? You create threat by beating your man, winning your duel. How many people on that pitch was in charge of their duel? Hardly Holland anybody. was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry, how many rephrase it? How many Arsenal people were in charge of their duel? Okay. Yeah, not yeah. many. No. And and that's and that's the key, right? And when you watch a game of football, to forget don't forget what you like. When a ball goes into Saka's feet and three people come over and he goes past two of them and pops it off and then gets it back again. We're excited. 
But when they are prepared to play a right-footed left-back who wants to monster him when he comes inside, takes it off him and runs 40 yards with it, that has an impact on you. You know, it has an impact to your ability to separate next time. It has an impact to Odegaard, who's, who's already chased Gundogan back once, couldn't catch him. Now he's trying to chase Akanji back once, couldn't catch him. Next time he's in space, he's standing there resting. We don't have a connection. We've got Shaka wasn't right to play. Martinelli had 11 touches. Shaka's our connector on that side. He's someone that storms into the box if we're in charge. If we're not in charge, can he get back in to help out the other centre mid? Couldn't do it on this day. For me, he wasn't right to play. Right, so, so you take out those two eights. By the way, they haven't had a good game for a little while now. You know, based on the length of the, the pass maps, you can see it. The distances are too big for them. They are not dominating football matches. Right, so uh, big Olus is on the other bloke who's getting a lot of stick in the number six. But I can see him on the screen. I can see him. I can't see the other two. Right, so, and so we're not in charge of our jewels. And when they chip over our midfield and goes to a centre back, I said last night in the instant reaction, who's running up behind someone, ticking his bum, and then watching him turn around and lay the ball off. That's not good enough. That that really isn't. And so you have a decision to make as a coach. And I will say this: I, I think there were better solutions. I've got no qualms in saying the Man City are the best team in the country, best team in Europe, and they'll probably be probably the best team in the world. So there's no issues here. I feel totally unburdened, and all I've got is pure clarity about what we need to do going forward. Tim mentioned there that they weren't embarrassed to change. That's a great line. That's exactly it. We need to be not embarrassed to to squeeze the most out of the group. We we could have done different things. We could have stabilised in a different way. I've been boring you guys with the word stabilising for the last three, four weeks because we haven't looked stable. We And there are ways to approach this before it slaps you in the face. And so we got slapped in the face. Now, I'm torn between... A coach really driving into principles home when the overall principles are more important than any one game. But I don't know. There comes a point when you have to recognise the rhythm of a season, and I and I don't think we are. I, I think another thing that I think Man City have done better than us is they've managed their energy better. And so there were times in January, I look at their bench, it's basically the first 11 that played against us was all sitting on the bench. Now they can do that, we can't. We've had the greatest season in many, many years because our first 11 has been on the pitch. But many of our players have played more than 25 games, not as many as Man City's have in, in the Premier League. And we are we look tired. We look smaller, we look tired, we look younger. And that's what I saw and I and I, I saw it in the Southampton game, and we squeezed we squeezed our way back, and I saw it again. And so you got to say to yourself, okay, the next phase is we all know the next phase is to add a bit of depth, a bit of quality. So we have, I think Tim wrote something today. I read today. We have a number of trusted players, and we need to increase that number. And when we increase yeah. that number, we can make more rotations. And it's about trusting people at the right time as well. We have bought a couple of players that I think are trustworthy that haven't been trusted. And I think an opportunity was missed. It would not have changed the result. But I don't think we got as much out of the Arsenal Orange as we could have done. Can I yeah. just come in on, on that very specifically, mm-hmm. particularly because you talked about stability and you talked about a couple of players as well. Like uh, Again, I'm not pretending this is easy because then you, you have to think about who to take out, etc., etc. And I don't think it would change this game, but I'm thinking like Southampton, West Ham, Liverpool. We lost control 
of all of those games. We lost control. We lost control of the ball. We gave the ball away sloppily. And, you know, a lot of that's because Saliba's out. But in all of those games, Jorginho and Trossard have been on the bench. And do you remember after the West Ham game, I argued with you, Elliot, I thought Jorginho and Trossard was a great change. That mm. actually, it you know, we argued about whether Trossard could have come on in midfield and we keep Gabriel Jesus on. But what happened? We lost control of that game. We brought those two on and West Ham barely had a shot after that. Yeah. Now, we yeah. didn't generate enough threat but we stopped giving the ball away. And so when we've got a bit of a problem about keeping possession and not giving the ball away and things like that, and Jorginho and Trossard, two of your best controlling players who take care of the football very, very well, aren't on the pitch. Like Again, I'm not pretending it's easy because you've got to take out someone quite trusted to get both of those players in. You've probably got to change something. But yeah, two of our best controlling players have been on the bench while we've been losing control of the ball. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I think it's really difficult to analyze a game like this without going to things like mental fragility or fear or freezing because like ultimately the rest of it I mean, we saw what it was. Pep had a tactical tweak. We were missing a key player. They exploited it ruthlessly. Their talent, De Bruyne and Holland, who may be the two best players in the league, dominated us. We had no answer for either of them. I said on the instant reaction, I think De Bruyne is better than Holland. That I think he has been the man who has elevated City over the last five seasons to where they are. A lot of people disagree with that. Well, he had two goals and an assist in this game and, and was absolutely imperious in the way he played. And, and you know, our our number 10, who wears, you know, the number eight, could, couldn't get in the game. And he's going to have to get to that level, right? That, that's the level we need to get to. You have to have someone generational in your team to be a generational side. Thierry Henry, right? Best player in the history of Premier League, elevated Arsenal to be one of the best teams that the league has ever seen. And they had a few of them in there, by the way, and Vieira and Pires, and, you know, there were, there were more. But in Bergkamp, um, we're still so young. But but Paul, like I don't know if we managed the emotion of the moment. Well, I'm curious how you how you look at some of the the flare ups because I know Clive liked it. Um, you know, he said in the instant reaction, like, "Good, get in there. Don't let them grab you by the scruff of your scruff of your neck and push you around and bully you psychologically. Show that you're up for the fight." I do think there's a little bit. It rings a little hollow to be up for the fight when you're three nil down and you've your heads have dropped and you've been monstered on the pitch a little bit. Then it looks a little like petulance. Um, so it, it is a it is a difficult balance, and I don't know where I am on that. Like Ben White, you know, the Arsenal fans are saying good on Ben White standing up for himself and his teammate at full time getting into that little scrap, and all the other neutrals that I'm seeing, and who who cares what they think, but just as another perspective, are like, just talk about being a sore loser, basically. Like you just you couldn't handle it with class that you got beat on the pitch. I, I see it both ways. You have to defend the badge, you have to defend your teammates, you have to stand up for yourself and say you beat us on this day, but we're not bullied by you. I don't know how you see the emotional reaction because I thought Jesus, for example, looked really wound up and he plays like that. That's kind of who he is, right? Shaka got into it a little bit. There were, there were a couple of scraps that we got into. How do you think we handled the emotion of the moment in terms of defending the badge and defending ourselves? Do you like to see the fight that they had emotionally or did it feel like the occasion was too big for them? Yeah, no, I'm with, I'm going to back Clive up in this fight. Always a good choice. Yeah. No, you, you got to get stuck in. I mean, Who's the greatest ever team we've ever had? The Invincibles. 
they weren't exactly shy about getting stuck in back in themselves. Or getting red cards, right? Or getting red cards. <laughs> might, they were okay if it cost them in a game. Well, they mightn't have been okay, but that's how it was. Like, a team that is not going to take shit from people, even if it's not a good day, that's what you need. So, like, the, the party nearly got himself a red card with a, a impetuous... Uh, kick out late on in the game. That's the one I'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense, guys. But you have a bunch of frustrated players on the pitch. You know, we talked about, you know, confusion, players looking confused, frustration, uh, players disappearing. I think they broke our system. We leaned heavily into this pressing. Players, they broke our press. Players are then in the wrong positions on the pitch. Uh, party's frustrated because he's like, well, you know, do I hold my position? Do I have to run the length of the pitch with the guy who's who was si- basically sitting behind me? Um, and after a short period of time, you see players saying, this isn't working, and the manager doesn't change it, and we go and judge the players, and really it's the fact that we committed to a system that after, like, fair, fair play to our daddy. This is how he wanted to play them. And after 30 minutes, it was clear it wasn't working. By 40, 45 minutes, they should have been two, three up. Halftime comes. We didn't do anything different in the second half. Now, maybe he has his reasons in terms of process, in terms of the players he has, that he doesn't think he wants to pivot to something else. But it seemed like a clear decision to play one way for the whole game, uh, but meanwhile, he's starting to lose his players along the way on the pitch. Um, I do think there are other things going on here. We're playing them probably at the worst time for us, the best time for them. Uh, the other lesson you'll learn from this game is what's a p- team who looks like they're peaking late on in the season look like versus what's a team that's running out of gas. And to be pressing that aggressively in the crunch game late in the season, you better have all your guys top level, Top fitness, fresh, because they're fresh. They're they're peaking for Champions League, Real Madrid, blah blah blah. We're not. We're we're hanging on to what we got. And like when you go through the squad, um, I was looking at this a, a little earlier while looking for my mute button. But if I look at player number fourteen in our team, has had six in terms of outfield players. The these the 14th player in terms of total number of starts for us. We've had six starts for our 14th player. They've had 15. So their 14th player has made 15 starts. Our fourth player, Martinelli, has had 32 starts out of 33. Their fourth player has had 23 starts. You can just randomly go down the list. Our eighth player in our squad in terms of starts has had 26. Theirs has had 19. And on and on and on. There's so much fresher than we are. Now, okay, okay, they've also played two less games. So they are planned to peak late. The problem for us was we got off to a flyer. We were winning. Now, do you decide to dial it back a bit and not win so much because you want to peak later on in the season if you're Arsenal? No, you go hell for leather, and we did. So part of the problem is we're judging a team that went out early, went fast. It's like the Tour de France, and you're like you're going for a stage win, and you're out in front, and you're like, you kill yourself for the stage win. 
but you probably killed yourself and you got it, but that gets you your top four, that gets you everything you were looking for. In fact, it's going to get you to second place, but it's going to kill you for actually winning the Tour de France. And the guy has been pacing himself, waiting for the mountains, all that kind of stuff. There's a whole craft in managing a season. And basically, we've got 11 players, and we know who those 11 players are, and Trossard. And if he were fit, we'd have Tommy Yasu. And that's all we got. And they've got 18 players. They use their their 13 through 18 throughout the season. They move them in and out, and that allows them to make tactical tweaks. Like, as Clive said, we probably had a player or two who wasn't fully there. Maybe Party's managing himself. Maybe Xhaka wasn't actually well. Maybe yeah. this wasn't the game for Jesus. Um, to your emotional point, I... Uh, I think Jesus's emotions. So you're going to answer the question now? Is, is that when it, this, this is the bites. start of the answer here? Okay. Good. Yeah. Just, just, just checking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and Arteta, but Arteta doesn't really have a choice over that. Is it, No, I'm not know, putting it on Arteta. Uh, it's just, it's a young team. And I'm curious if you thought, well, yeah. All right. Anyway. Yeah. His options are limited, right? In terms of emotions, in terms of, tactics in terms of tweaks in terms of he's got to play the 11 plus one and he doesn't want to take jesus out of the city game even though maybe trossard was the right guy trossard's been fucking great that's the revelation here so we got like 12 30 we got to get to 18 players who he's making change well like bringing in kyle okay. walker you know etc like what a great player to make a tactical tweak or to have to fall back on and that's probably his player number 17 or 18. Well, then <clears throat> that's an interesting point. Tim, I, I, I hate to do the, the hindsight thing, but I think this, this game, frankly, do we really need to go into whether it was offside or not offside? If you see it as offside, great. If you don't, like maybe it would have changed the game, whatever. Do we need to break down the goals they scored? I don't think we do. We know how they, we got beaten. Clive covered it. We've talked about it. Is there an argument that, a string that Arteta needs to add to his bow is managing the squad better over a season. Like he wants to win everything. And when he has a team that's ready to win everything, we should try to win everything. But like it, it is the fact that our season went up in smoke when we lost Saliba and Tomiyasu and we lost them both in a Europa league tie. And if you look at the minutes in some of the legs and you look at some of the players that look a little bit jaded right now, I dare say Saka might be among them. Maybe Thomas party a little bit, but like, Saka among them for sure. There's a lot of minutes that went into Europa League group stage games and knockout ties. And like, I'm not, look, none of this is let's kill Mikel for not rotating. But it's like, you have to look at where we are and how we've come up short this season and how we don't do it again. And to Paul's point, if you only have 12 players, you have to be really, really sure they're going to be ready. Look at City. What do City do every season? They peak at the end of the season. And everybody's laughing at some weird line, oh, Bernardo Silva's playing left back in like January. Or wow, they've dropped Kevin De Bruyne. Everybody who plays fantasy Premier League is like, I hate Pep, he's always dropping the player I captain. But you know what? He's not dropping them in April and he's not dropping them in May. And they just come on like an absolute avalanche at the end of seasons. So is some of where we are now maybe a reflection on not having an eye on hey, we have a small squad and I need to really, really, really focus up on making sure it can run the full marathon? 
I, I see that more as somewhere we're going rather than somewhere we've come from because essentially yeah. we threw all the cups in the bin <laughs> this year. Like, yeah. do you remember that Brighton Carabao Cup game? I swear Arteta nearly smiled. <laughs> we went out. I think we all did. The FA Cup at City, he rested lots of players. Um, but can and I say Europa, one thing on that? I think hmm. he sort of split the baby in the sporting tie, right? Because he, he did rotate quite a bit for the away leg saying like, tipping his cap to the fact that Premier League, that Premier League was a priority. But then because we didn't get the result we might have wanted away, he didn't have the conviction to do it again in the home leg. You know what I mean? He, yeah, not maybe. Quite, you know. And, and may, maybe that was always in the planning. Maybe it was always fair. like... Yeah, fair point. Split, I, I think they were, the they were trying to go through at 70% if they could, and they nearly did. Um, uh, and but, like, shouldn't Saliba be, be able to jog around a pitch against Sporting? I mean... A, Oh, it's, I'm, I'm not saying we got unlucky. Like Saliba's yeah. not hurt because he played too many minutes. We got unlucky, but Could you know we lost two players. In it um, wasn't the most demanding game he'll ever play I, as I a centre-back. He, he definitely did that before in fu- probably, at the Fulham game. A lot of people yeah, have said that fall in the Fulham game. Yeah, yeah and, and probably exacerbated in this game. But I, I, I think the thing. I think there's a couple of things here. I think first of all. The real like we did rotate quite a lot. You're right. Like most of the players were always in the squad. I think those minutes in the group stage were managed. But I mean, first off, I think that is a symptom of squad size because yeah. like we haven't got 22 players to make 11 changes, and particularly one area where that's probably hurt us a lack of depth is in the wide positions because we've quite, because Smith Rowe hasn't either hasn't been fit or in the first half of the season wasn't fit in the second half like he hasn't been able to take any burden off of Martinelli for example so we've had to kill Saka and Martinelli basically um you know Trossard's come in and helped that a bit but actually what Trossard's biggest use has been has been that we were able to ease Gabriel Jesus back in and we were able to absorb an injury to Nketiah and he's actually been more of a centre forward than a wide forward so far um, that that's that's kind of the problem he's really fixed. Um, Even in this game, Tim, when he came on, he came on as centre forward, and we pushed yeah, Gabriel Jesus went wide. to the wing. Yeah, which, which I thought was a really interesting, mm. um, really interesting thing to look at. And and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we saw that in one of the next couple of games, and maybe Martinelli sat down for a game. That's mega harsh because, like, it's not his fault he had eleven touches last night and he's been brilliant before this game but you know it again it's it's about rotation not dropping we just need to deepen the pool of players but the, the other thing is as well like next season we're in the Champions League we're not going to be playing Europa League teams in the Champions League but what we need to be able to do like I actually I've been thinking about this earlier I actually think this relationship as much as I think we should be playing second string teams in the Europa League group stage I actually think over the last four or five years it's created this really unhealthy like split squad where you've got the Europa League guys and the Premier League guys and actually what you want in your squad is a more harmonious relationship between the two because what I remember this in Wenger's first season like the Europa League squad was a load of players who were halfway out the door like it was Wilshire it was Iwobi it was Giroud it was Coquelin uh, it, was, it was all the chambers. It was all these players that just hadn't quite done it or were on their way out for different reasons. And we ended up with this really weird situation where we had like the squad split in half. And actually, I don't think that's that healthy. I think what we want to move towards, what we'll need to do anyway for the Champions League is much more 
I've got 18 players and I'm comfortable playing all of them. Like I'm comfortable playing Tommy Asu at left back in the Champions League on Wednesday night and sitting Zinchenko and then bringing him back in on Saturday. And I'm comfortable playing Trossard in one game. Well, like we just need more of those guys. Basically, we need a couple more Jorginho's, couple more Trossards. If we if we get someone like Declan Rice, we can manage Party much better. We can manage Xhaka much better. Like. We just need to thicken the pool of players. I think that's why some of these players have played minutes in the Europa League. And look, we're going to ask them to do more than that in the Champions League next year. But it's because we just literally haven't had the players. Um, and you look at some of the things Arteta's tried to do in the transfer market. I think we'll see a winger in the summer. He tried to buy Mudrick. He's tried to buy Hafinha. Like, he clearly wants another Martinelli. I think. I think he wants another mm. explosive wide player, you know, to really come on and change games, to really swap, like basically an upgrade on Reese Nelson. I think is what I'm getting at here. But yeah, I, I think that's more about the journey we're on. And next season, I, I've been for one of the first times ever. I've been a fuck the cups guy. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I should have uh, advanced warning of the swearing, but no, 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 I've, no, no, I've been, no, a, been the cups, but guy, <laughs> and, and I've I've never really been that guy before. But I've been like been the cups. Next season, I'm not going to be that guy, and neither is anyone else. Like people have accepted it this year. I accepted it. I thought it was pragmatic. Next year, we can't be doing that. We can't be doing that if we're going to be a serious team. So we need to just deepen the the pool of and and have like. 18, 19 players that just feel like they, they can go in first 11 without missing a beat. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I I want to spend a lot of the remainder of this pod talking about where we go from here because I, I will admit, at around the 60-minute mark of this game, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, where's your, where's your anger? Where's the outrage? Like, first of all, I, I don't feel that. I felt res- resignation. And one of the reasons I think I don't feel anger and outrage, right? Like, you guys have heard me. I've expressed some anger and outrage on this pod before. Because we sucked. We had a shit director of football and a shit manager and a bunch of shit players who don't care and weren't fit to wear the badge and embarrassed us routinely. And we played shit football and it was hard to watch. But you know what? Now we have brilliant young players that are easy to love and an Arsenal man managing the coach, uh, managing the club who espouses the values we care about and has brought football that has delighted us most of the season. And we've got Arsenal people all the way right through the club. And we pushed Manchester City all the way to the title. And so I felt resignation and not anger because how can I really, really be angry at this group when I'm going to be loving them for the next four or five, six seasons? Hopefully. Right? Then there's a place for being really angry when we do stupid shit. But I I think seeing the distance between us and City, all I could think of is, okay, that's still the, that's still the chasm we have to cross. We haven't crossed it yet. So I just I couldn't connect to any other feeling. But where I was nervous, where I was worried, is where we go from here. Because if we really shit the bed and throw away a bunch of points on the run-in now and don't stay close and don't finish near them and really look more like the team that, that came up short last season than the team that pushed City all the way this season, that I think can have a knock-on effect, and I think that would not be good. So I want to talk about that a bit, but just quickly before we get to that, Clive, it is very, 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 very hard to analyze the end stages of a game that is kind of over and everybody knows it's over. And you can look at performances in that stage of the game. Those players were brilliant. They deserve to be rewarded. But like those players didn't have to play when the game was hot and mattered. But I do think Nelson looked good. I do think Troussard looked good. I do think some of the subs came on and, and looked good. Were there any performances by the subs 
that have you thinking. I mean, if you're Mikel Arteta, it's stick or twist time. You got to go in and win the rest of these games. He didn't twist in this game. Is he going to twist? Should he stick? What do you think of the sub-performances and where it takes us next? I think when we all saw the team, uh, we, we all went, yep, that's the team I expected. And when we saw a couple of the players, um, we realized that Granite Shaka wasn't ready to play. Right, so that's not a granite shaker that I recognise, you know, and um, and the Rob Holding thing, uh, I I know what he is, so you have to adjust to it, and we and we chose not to, right? So we chose leaving one on one with the best centre forward in the world. So you get what you get, right? So um, so I'm I'm not too con- concerned by that. I think. Trossard has shown over recent weeks that he's a very good football player. And the fear that ran through me at Southampton, it was quite clear who was not afraid at the moment and who was a little bit afraid at the moment. And Trossard's one of these people that has a solid technique and he's not afraid at the moment. And I wish he scored a winning goal because he would have deserved it. And I, and I just, and I like this player as an interior player. I like him as an eight. I like him as a false nine. I like him as a ten. I don't mind him as a winger if he's got a fullback dancing around him. He's just a very smart football player that makes good decisions, that belongs at a top six club, and I think he's shown that. And I think we're a good home for him. Um, Jorginho, you know, you know my thoughts, Elliot. You you buy a player like that for moments like this. So rather than play someone that's ill, play the guy. Just won the European Championships at Wembley, won a Champions League against City that understands big games and big moments and has level of experience that we bought for just this moment. And I would have played him and party together and I would have gone that way around. Now, other people will say, no, we need to push them back. And the game state, after being 1-0 down after six minutes, maybe made us carry on pressing and pushing. But for me, we didn't we didn't quite have enough there. So I think Trossard and Jorginho have shown they are useful players for this group. And whether Jorginho stays next year, that's a, that's a debate, by the way. And whether he stays next year, is we'll see what happens. But Trossard, I think, can be really, really useful. We need more of him. I think looking further forward, um, I can't help but say this. I don't want to say it because it feels like it's not good analysis. But... I do think I trust you. I've been saying, I always look at the same thing. I look at my competitive landscape, I look at what they're doing, and they are powering up, sizing up, speeding up. And we need to power up and size up. Because if we don't, we're going to get overcome and overwhelmed by these teams, either on set pieces or in big transitions. So we have to decide what we want to do. So we need another centre back that can manage big spaces. We need another one or two centre mids that can travel. And for me, potentially, we need a different style centre forward that allows us to go over the press. And when we have these different ways of playing, then we can really challenge the manager to change his strategy and his principles on a certain occasions because he has the tools to do that. I don't think we have enough diversity of tools to use to change how we want to play, if we have to. So what we do is, is layer on top what we currently do. We've done so, so well. I've learned so much through this guy, Arteta, about how to set up a football team, how to create pods and communications and connections, how to play in small places, and how to have agile carriers in top end of pitch and really connect 
get the ball on the move, invert, all these stuff none of us had talked about a year ago. And here we are, fully yep. signed up and experts. Like we've always known it. Well, I haven't. And I'm and I'm going to put my hand up and say it. What Zinchenko has showed me, I haven't seen it. But a year later, it's already coming out of fashion and we have to go again. And that's the way football is. You have to evolve, you have to go again. And we have to. We can't be too proud to do it. We've been slapped in the face and we need to do it. And we need to say, okay, next phase. Bigger, stronger, centre-forward option. Do it. Eddie and Jesus, two, two the same. Make a decision. I may have three forwards because we go into more competitions or you make sure you have two two different forwards. We absolutely need another sprint on the outside areas. We do. And we, we need a, a right-footed centre-back and play left and right. That's what we need. And uh, someone who can really run. And so it's all there, right? It's clear. Paul said last night, the word, I couldn't, I couldn't stop sleeping. Clarity. We have clarity. Don't ignore what you've seen. We, we have it. Don't forget this day and make sure you react to it. Yeah, well said. Um, let's turn the ship towards the future and look at the run-in. Because I, I think that is the critical piece now. And I think it's interesting because Mikel Arteta was very clear to talk about that as well in his post-match comments. That was really the big theme. The irony is, I think most of the comments were geared towards what happens next, not what happened in this game. Um, and that I think that is going to, it's going to have a big impact. But uh, let's start this uh, segment that everybody loves so much about Elliot Tells You About Companies with one that we could all use today, and that's this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy. It's just therapy. I can't say it any simpler than this. Therapy is important, and it's something everyone should do. Everyone should find a therapist that they want to work with and work on some aspect of your mental health that's going to make you more effective in your life, make you a healthier person in the same way you make sure you go to your doctor, you go to your gym, you eat right, whatever the case may be. So a couple of things to know about better health, better help, better help, he says, getting it right. Um, it, you can do a camera on, camera off. You can change therapist if it's not a fit for you. You can find someone that is licensed in the specialty that you need if there's a specific issue you're working on. They are licensed therapists. Uh, it is convenient. It's flexible. You don't have to get in the car, drive to an office, you know, block out that time, drive back. Maybe you live in an area where that's not even possible. So you can do all that. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vision. And once your mind is healthy, get your body healthy. AG1 from Athletic Greens is something that I started to, to try uh, early on because I had gut health issues and I had a friend, um, a doctor friend, just so happens, but a friend who was using it for a similar thing. So I took AG1 for gut health and it was, yeah, it was great. I take it when I start my day. It helped wean me off a bit of coffee. It's great for energy recovery because it's designed by athletes for athletes. It's 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, whole food source superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's all the daily nutrients that you need. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits. And I will say this, if you're using gummy vitamins and things like that, I promise you, get the bottle, turn it around where it says other ingredients. The first one will be like corn syrup or glycerin sugar or some some other way of describing sugar. This is keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, dairy-free, paleo, you name it. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out. Now, I will also tell you that you probably 
want to find a job or hire someone for a job once you've got your mental health and your body in the shape they need to be in the way to do that's with Indeed. Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. One of the things I love with Indeed is Instant Match. Instant Match is great. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. And with Indeed Matching, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Boom, it's hiring at warp speed. Indeed does the hiring work for you. Sponsor a job, they'll match you with quality candidates. And, and, the, and you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have requirements. All right? Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and supply cost per application price is not available. You don't need to hire. You need Indeed. Last but not least, I promise. We, we got to stop with these four bangers. But, you know, four passed us yesterday. Four ads in the pod today. It's really just what you deserve. It's Shady Rays. Shady Rays. This is a simple one. The absolute best polarized lenses you will find. They even do custom snow goggles. It's getting to the season where you need new sunglasses. Before you go out and buy a pair of sunglasses, the minute you lose them or break them, you have to go buy another one. How about getting Shady Rays? They have tons of great styles or polarized lenses. And if you lose them or break them, they will replace them. They have a lost or broken guarantee. It's incredible. It's the reason we buy sunglasses. Now you don't have to worry about that. And they have a 30-day risk-free trial. So you can try and make sure you like them and then you're good. So Shady Rays has exactly what you need, the style you need, the value you need. All you have to do exclusively for Arsenal Vision podcast listeners is go to ShadyRays.com and use code ArsenalVision for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's ShadyRays.com, code ArsenalVision, 50% off polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Clive! <sighs> is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. You know what? We're all in this together. We got through it. That's what matters. Tim, we're going to be letting you go soon, so I'll just, I'll, I'll go to you. Um, for me, this is a beautiful, you know, some people have asked me, why can't, why aren't you angrier? What's changed? Where's your anger? You know, I think that that's what I'm known for, being the angry guy, I guess. <laughs> I, it, it is the fact that, that I, I love this, this team in a lot of ways and this manager, and, you know, there's so many things that I love about this season. I felt resignation yesterday, but I'll tell you what would, I think, really, Get, get my anger back if that's what people want is if we just shit the bed and threw the whole season away Chelsea are dreadful they're coming to the Emirates on Tuesday we have time to recover from this with Rob Holding we have not really been able to play our football but with Rob Holding we did have a two goal lead at Anfield and we did have a two goal lead at West Ham and we did have three goals that we scored against Southampton almost a fourth so like for me, the most, 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 most important thing, forget the title for a minute. Forget that if we win all our games, we make City have to go win the title, which I'd love to see. But even forget that. I think it is important for this team. I think it is important for the fan base and the team and the manager that we finish within two points or three points or one point of City at the end of the season and not nine points back where the narrative is, yeah, they were in it for a while, but really were they ever in it? They kind of collapsed in April and fell away badly and lost some bad games. Like, we need, we need, I think, all of us to come away from this season feeling we were genuinely in it, which we were. But I don't. It would really be a shame if we if we blew that now. And so I think these next few games, starting with Chelsea, we've got to see the backbone back in the in the team. So what what do you expect? Do you think that with the pressure off a bit, we'll see some of the lightness and fun and good football come back, or are you worried a little about this turning into a? a not so close finish at the end where 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 are you thinking on the on the last few games 
Honestly, I'm about 50-50. I, I really think either could happen. I I tend to think I probably err slightly more on the side that perhaps some of the pressure's gone. Perhaps, you know, we get some of that lightness back. Perhaps Arteta does make a make a kind of adjustment somewhere. Um, but I think we have to prepare, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that, like, because all of us have got these ideas about things that we should have done in the last few games, but... You have to you have to factor in that all of that might not have made a difference. It might even have made things worse, for all we know. Um, but I, like Chelsea, just feels like a good opportunity for me. This feels like um, the sort of game where you can beat a big team who aren't a big team at the moment. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, there, there's not a direct comparison to be made here, but like when we beat Real Madrid in two thousand six, and that belief propelled us to the Champions League final, like. You know, in terms of like your belief, no one really cared that that was an aging Real Madrid team, and most of those players were gone <laughs> that summer mm-hmm. because it was all it was all aging out and everything like that. So you know, sometimes beating a name um, just gives gives you that little bit of something. And we we need we need something at the moment. Basically, like we're feeling a bit sorry sorry for ourselves. We're a little bit cowed. You know, Chelsea have completely checked out for the season. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's whether they continue in that vein or whether they find like, um, you know, some kind of wave of energy for this game. I don't know, but even if they do, we're better than them. So like, just go out and beat them and at least give like yourselves and the fans that good feeling again of beating like a rival and a team you don't like at home. Give us all the chance to like actually laugh at Chelsea um, because they're having a terrible season and we should enjoy that while they're in close proximity and don't give us the kind of game where we draw 1-1 or lose 1-0. And, you know, like, I, I think we just need a bit of good feeling back. You know, we need a bit of a hug, basically, <laughs> at yeah. the moment. And beating Chelsea would, would just be... And not least as well, because we got Newcastle away after that and that's going to be another really tough game. Like, it does feel... Maybe Southampton accepted, but Southampton are playing for something, and you don't want to play teams that are playing for things that like if we play Southampton at home in November or January, like there's no chance that game finishes three three in my view. Um, mm. So you know, like we need, I think as well, to put ourselves on a better track going into that Newcastle game, particularly because. That's going to be a big game. They're going to be up for it. They're really playing for something. They're playing well, and we just we need to bring a bit of the good feeling back. So if I were Arteta, I'd be selling this to the players. A great opportunity. Like, look, you you can go and beat, you can go and murder Chelsea at home in front of all your fans, and bring that happiness back to yourselves and your fans. And 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 at that point, you can start to think a little bit more about how we end this season. But really, all thought should be on the Chelsea game and then the rest of the season will take care of itself either way. But I think it's pivotal in how we finish. Like I think what happens, the performance we see on Tuesday will tell you how Arsenal are going to finish this season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clive, Clive, would you, do you, do you think that the run in matters? I mean, like obviously we can still win the title. So of course it matters. If we win our own games and city shit the bed, we can still be champions. But like the, the likely outcome is that on Saturday or Sunday, whenever City play Fulham, it'll be the first time that they will go above us and we will officially be behind City where I think a lot of us expect us to finish at this point. By the way, Tim 
uh, is going to head out um, as we start to turn the corner towards the finish here. Tim's on Twitter at Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Um, do, do you, is it important? I mean, look, every game is important. The whole point of football club is to win games. How important is it that we, that we go finish this with, with pride and with quality and stay close and, and make it a, a big finish and start that by beating a hated rival that's in a very bad moment on Tuesday. Do you think ultimately that does wind up mattering? Because to be fair, we can all fall victim to narrative. We all thought the way we collapsed last season, Clive, we're like, well, that's it. We collapsed and that's who Arsenal is. And what did we do? Did we go on to finish seventh this season? No, we nearly won the title and may still. So like, do you, do you think it matters how we, how we finish from here? I think last night's game really mattered on how we were perceived. So if you're a young player, a young international player that what to think about coming to Arsenal, and you saw that last night, and you thought, you know what? I've got I've got a place there. I like how they're approaching things. This is a counteract to me being a bit more pragmatic. I like how they approach things. I like their bravery. I like the fact they show no fear no matter where they go. And they're full of young players, youngest team in the league. I want to go there. If we um, fall apart, I think we have a slight damage to our reputation, even though we've exceeded people's um, original expectations. And and I, I want to see us end the league really strong. I want to be the, clearly the second best team that pushed them really closely because no one else has got themselves together to do that. If we fall back into the clutches of Manchester United, for example, and they finish a few points behind us and win the FA Cup and the League Cup, and that gap's really close, I don't want that discussion online. I don't want that debate. You know, I want us to be clearly the second best team, clearly the team on the uptick. Players can smell when a team is going forward and we are going forward. And the most important thing for, for me, the most that's the most important thing this season has been the unity within the fan base, the unity in the club. And if we were to fall apart, that would be under threat. No matter what people say right now, it would be threatened. There will be anger, there will be responses. And I don't want that because I don't think the season deserves that. So I, I think it's really important how we finish so we can plan for the summer accordingly get the players we all want because we are super attractive and then we get the players we want last night will just be a step on the way to success yeah and by the way we we are officially qualified for champions league yeah I, nobody wants perspective right now right nobody wants to be like well in the beginning of the season you would have taken this like i, I get that because that's not where we are now I, I mean maybe the time for anger was West Ham or Southampton, you know, now it, it isn't. And, and there are probably people listening, by the way, there's some of you probably listening to me like, guys, why are you talking like the title's gone? The title's not gone. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I was going to go to you, Paul. I mean, if you're Mikel, would you try to go more with the guys? Let's forget the title now. Let's no. just go beat Chelsea and, 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 you know, show a little bit of our class and our quality. And now some of the pressure's off. You know what? Now it's on city. We get to just enjoy our football. Or would you keep that pressure on? Would you try to make them feel that there's still a title to battle for? Because I admit, I am sort of writing it off. I mean, I expect City oh. to beat Fulham on Saturday, go a point ahead of us, and and finish thereabouts. H how does Mikel approach? How do the players approach? Do they have to continue to believe there's a title on the line? 
Look, I learned so much podcasting with you guys from Tim. I learned professionalism in podcasting. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say this. I'm about to say the word fuck. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What the fuck, guys? Like, don't get me wrong. I feel exactly the same way you do, right? Um, But it doesn't take much perspective to realize we're still two points ahead in the league. We are top of the league, yeah. (laughs) We are top of the league. We are top of the league. (laughs) They've got tough away games coming up in that they're away games against teams who want something against them. They're going to be in the Champions League. They have this thing they invented called injuries. You don't know who they'll strike or when. Um, everybody loves those project- prediction models, 5-3-8. Scott does a great one. Um, City are projected for 89 points. Now, they're also projected at a 90% chance to win the league, which means we got a 10% chance. I suggest we lean into that 10% and do everything we can to grow that 10%. Now, injuries can hit us. We could be unfortunate, but we could go and win our next five games, at which point we have 90 points and 538 projects City has will get 89 points, right? Okay. They don't project we'll get 90 points, but we can go and, like, what else are we going to do? Anybody else got anything they're busy with over the next few weeks within our squad? (laughs) Maybe we could try and win those five games. Like, we can beat Wolves. We can beat Brighton at home. We can beat Chelsea at home. There's three. Sure, sure, but but, but just one thing, Paul. Do you think the psychology of maybe taking away – look – Will, you never it, want to think my team is so weak it. mentally that they have to think nothing's on the line to win. But like they've been playing under this pressure for so long, maybe they cracked a bit. Is the psychology of feeling like it's maybe lifted slightly yeah. a, a benefit? Yes. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Look, they the inevitable train was coming, right? And they're thinking, I hope the train gets derailed. But like the train has been and gone. It's hit us. We're battered, bruised, couple of broken bones, but we're alive, right? The train has gone through. And you're like, well, we're not facing that train again. Now we get to pl- play five games against teams who are not Manchester City. They get, they have their problems. They need to go off and play in the Champions League. They need to manage their home schedule. We've got to focus on, we can have a brilliant second place finish. Or we might actually fucking win. And so the psychology, I think, nobody's going to talk about us. The media aren't going to keep asking us dumb questions. They're going to ask you the question, Are you st- do you still think you have a chance, blah, blah, blah. So for a young team who was maybe suffering from that level of spotlight and focus and this train coming along of the Manchester City game, and would they, well, look, the game's gone. We've got five games to go. Win all five. We did this two seasons ago when there was nothing on the line. We couldn't get uh, top four. We won our la- like we won nine of our last ten or something like that. Maybe we won eight and drew two. Like um, in a kind of a dead rubber season at that point, it was very very meaningful. And this di- different bunch of players, but this manager, this team, this club went and finished strong. Like we've nothing else to do. Go and win the five games. Like, we might be 88 points versus their 89. That's pretty fucking cool. We might be 90 versus their 89. They might, like, if they're projected for 89, what if they lose an extra game? There's a thing called football where the bounce of the ball can be unpredictable. Players get injured. Red cards get given. Penalties. Weird VAR decisions, right? Anything can fucking happen. And if I'm Mikel Arteta, 
I say, all right, everybody, breathe. Let's go again. Let, we're, nobody's looking at us. We're under the radar. Let's, let's get back to playing our best football. Let's show this league who we are. Let's position ourselves to win. We're still top of the league. Yeah. I mean, Clive, he basically said, we have to move on. We will be very silly if this affects us in the next few weeks. So this is a difficult one. We have to accept the reality and then we have to move on. We have to try to help the players and paint the reality of where we are. Today, we played against a team that were the best at that level. It's who can keep at that level. That is the question. Um, and that, you know, to to Paul's point, there is still plenty to play for. I, I will confess, and the whole tone of this podcast has been that it is gone. In a way, that has relieved the stress for me a bit. <laughs> Maybe that will relieve the stress from the players a bit. But elite sport is strange and weird things happen. Um, we have seen some very, very unexpected things happen in football. I mean, teams throw it away, they get it back, then they throw it away again. My expectation, it, it, like I said, is that City will beat Fulham and they will be top of the league going into our game against Chelsea. What, what's, for you, do we do we have to, so we need to win these games, we've agreed that. Do we have to make substantial changes? Like, is it time to go away from Rob Holding? Is it time to make tweaks? How do you approach this? Because I, I, it, the City game in isolation, you could walk away from, but it can't be taken in isolation. It's got to be taken in this run of four games. And I, I, I sort of think we've reached a point where the manager probably has to make a change. Do you think he will? Do you think he should? It, it depends what you take away from the City game. You know, I, I take away from it that there's a, there's a gap there. And at this moment in time, I feel like we're the second best team in the league. And if I felt we were the best team in the league, I would be incredibly positive about these next five games. We can win all five and still be the second best team in the league, in my mind. Because what I saw last night was one of the best performances from a, a team against us that I've seen in many years. Right, mm. So I thought it was excellent in everything they did. And these, these were not bargains. You know, These were top-level players that are well-established in, internationally and within our league. And they maybe one player in that group that was new to the league this season, a new to the level in a Kanji, for example, and he had a great game. You know, so and so we're sitting there as the pretenders. So I, I know this in my mind. Everything tells us that's what we are. And we line up in a tunnel, that's what we look like. But that's not a bad place to be. You know? For me, we look better than Liverpool this season. Properly look better than them. And try and we spent years in this podcast talking about Liverpool like they were gods. So they've been caught. When this time last year we talked about the Spurs and Newcastle games. Well, we put 25, 30 points on Spurs. So they've been they've been bopped. So Newcastle, I know what I'd be saying to the players for a Newcastle game. We owe them. All right? Chelsea in the away game this year, it was, it, the gap was huge, even though it was one nil. Let's make sure we confirm that gap. So it is really about confirming yourself within the league and making sure you approach these games with the right level of fervor and aggression and all the things that we've been driven by this season. So I I hear what Paul's saying, and he's absolutely right. It was a great uh, Any Given Sunday speech, right? It was a great speech, <laughs> and he's totally right. He's absolutely right, because we, we need to get a snap of reality, right? We are sitting there two points clear, and they've still got it to do. And I will say the Real Madrid games may leave them feeling like we're feeling today. 
a bit drained emotionally from a huge game. Or it could lift them to a new level. Because their targets are becoming clear now. They're playing three competitions. And so the weight of pressure is now going to flip onto them. You know, and when they beat us last time, they went to not twice at the weekend, the very next weekend, and drew 1-1. And gave away the points they just gained on us. So, things can happen. But if you ask me, honestly, in my heart of hearts, I want to win this league knowing we're the best team. And I know you might say, you win it, you win it, Clive. Don't worry about it. If they lose three games, they deserve to lose it. But I want to be the best team. I'm not fussed, Clive. Yeah. (laughs) I want to... I I mean, I want to win it your way, Clive, but I'm also comfortable winning it in literally any other way. I know that's... And by the way, if if they lost three games in a trot, mate, I'll be booking hotels and I'll be telling my wife I'm not going to see her for at least a week. Right? So so that's part of that. But you know what I'm trying to say there, philosophically, I, I want us to be so clear the best team that it's it's not a debate and we're not there yet yet so um so yeah let's see how we go but we've just got to focus on next five chelsea number one focus on that and newcastle we they need to get it you know they really do chelsea's going to be interesting because if we play the badge on their chest and we play the form that we're in and we make that difficult for ourselves that'll be really instructive because they're very very bad right now very bad and and lampard is out of his depth and he's throwing out crazy lineups out there and I think Mikel just has a really tricky problem because party looks a little jaded like he's carrying a knock Shaka didn't look right in that game Rob holding I, I just don't know if he can play anymore should, um, we, go, should we go through it should we go yeah. no seriously should go we go well let's go through it right Ramsdale I thought that's a great recovery game but people are critiquing him on the first goal I don't but I thought he was very low. But from there, he saves our ass. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, but I thought that shot went out to in, outside the post and came in. So good luck saving that. Um, that's my view. Um, I thought Ben White's been decent. Um, Rob Holding hit his level. Gabriel, destabilized, but he's still a very good player. Dinchenko, a bit emotional maybe on occasions, but still top quality. Party looks a bit jaded and I think his roles become bigger and he's struggling. Our two eights in Shaka and, and Odegaard can't find them with a torch. Can't find them, mate. Can't find them. Um, the centre forward, he's looking jaded for the first time in Jesus. His power and zip has gone. Saka, I mean, I wasn't too wide when he played the two internationals for England, but I can see those games with his legs now. And it's been coming, right? And his head is just dropping a little bit. And Martin, only 11 touches. When have you seen that? So they just need, I, I spoke about going to a health spa last weekend. You can see it, can't you? They need to go back yeah. there this weekend and make sure they just recover themselves physically and emotionally and reset their goals for Chelsea. So important to get that win. And then we go from there. Yeah, Interesting, uh, the lineup yeah. against Chelsea, because he has the moral quandary at that point that maybe players he was pushing that are like, Let's take an example. Maybe Party has been carrying something all along, and that's like for the City game he has to play against Chelsea. You may say, "Well, I'm going to put in Jorginho and give him." Like it'll be interesting to see if he makes one or two changes, and that may tell us something about who's carrying what, who's not in the shape, because he's basically going to play those eleven every game, and now he has the moral quandary of. Okay, it's not City, it's Chelsea, and like it hasn't gone, but it's not what it was against Chelsea. It wasn't the title contending playoff game kind of thing. So the lineup could be 
could tell us a little something against Chelsea, who re- who really shouldn't be playing right now. I, I think he has to find a way. And look, it, it starts to sound mean-spirited. So I want to be clear that I don't mean it that way. I think he has to find a way to start without Rob Holding because teams have figured out how to hurt us when he's on the pitch. They figured out to leave him alone, let him have all the touches and the passes. They figured out how to press, you know, use that extra space to press other players and disconnect our lines. Our line height gets lower. Our distances get bigger. I just think teams have figured out his weaknesses and it's it's too much of a gap. And I don't mean it to be mean-spirited. I mean, I think it's a real problem for our football that if we don't is, go with... Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what could you possibly do that doesn't change the system? Because... I mean, you could right. look... I realize it's, it's a weird thing to do. I have been told that at times Tierney has played right back for Scotland, maybe. Look, it's not ideal, but you just do it. And you push right white to, to center back. And he hasn't played center back all season. And by the way, Paul, I want to be clear. I'm not saying we have an obvious solution that why didn't we just do that? I'm saying we've reached an adir with this situation. Have no solution. Like right, it might it might be. But what I would say at this point, right? So prior to this, and let's not be wise after the fact, I thought stick with the 10 best players in their 10 best positions and hope that Rob Holding can can do what he needs to do. I've been very clear on that. I think at this point, if you don't try something else, you're wishing more than you are believing. At this point, I think it is wish casting. Yeah, Yeah, but even if Tierney is a good right back, you've taken Ben White from the pod on the right-hand side. You know, this is... is Let me flip the question around then, Paul. Do you think we can be effective over 90 minutes and win games, win all of our remaining games, if we continue to use Rob Holding, given what we've seen teams do to target how we play when he's in? Uh, And Clive, I'll I'll come to you on this too. Look, uh, look, I, I... I see the same dilemma. I just think you don't do something to shoot yourself in the other foot, and that might be what happens if you try and do something weird and wonderful, and then you've basically blown it. Rob, you're so bad that we're going to play Kieran Tierney out right back. Oh, ne- next game is, uh, Rob, we're back to you. Uh, that didn't work out It's so a bit well. of a trolley problem, I yeah, confess. It is. But, like, but I think the problem is, right, it, if if you are doing something that isn't working and you don't know what else might work, I don't think not changing it is is the answer. It maybe what you change it to also doesn't work, but it has let's put it this way, right? What we change it to, Paul, could work. What we've been doing doesn't work. Didn't so, work. No, it's not it the hasn't. Same. It didn't work. Yeah. Hasn't like worked. we could play better mm-hmm. with the pressure, a couple of changes upfield, bring in Trossard. Uh, Rob Holdings, okay, okay, that has knock-on team effects. Uh, I, I' not seeing a totally different you. Don't get me wrong. I'm like the 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 coach has to look at the dressing room too. Uh, Rob, we don't believe in you, and we think it was your fault. Oh, uh, we need you back because that yeah. that was even worse. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't person that stuff. I think. It's it's this is this is grown up football. Like I'm sorry, but Rob, you aren't good enough. We're gonna go with somebody else. Okay, they weren't good enough. I need you to play four more games, and then you're done at Arsenal. Like like okay, it, but grown up it, managing is realizing there is can't a always be an arm around the shoulder, right? I mean, he hasn't done that with ML Smith Rowe, has he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's totally different. Right, but I, all right. Well, anyway, uh, Clive, how do we? How do we? And if so, how do we change this? I mean, I I don't like we haven't been dreadful. But I do think teams have figured out an answer to this that we are struggling to cope with. You know, I this, think I think um, center back line. teams are 
they're, they're letting him have the ball, right? And his distribution is not the best. It's not the worst, but it's like, you know, I, I learned it's from basketball. Sometimes you, you let the other, you double team the star and let the other guys try to beat you. They're double teaming our stars. They're smashing them out wide and they're letting Rob Holding be our playmaker. We tried to circumnavigate that by bringing party in to help him. Um, and then now everyone's killing Rob Thomas party because he's got too many jobs to do. <laughs> and so it's, um, it's a challenge. So we, we may have to do something. Hey, look, there's, there are lots of people with lots of options. I would have, my primary thing would just to bring in Georgina, particularly when Shaka was, was down and really create a box there. And that's what I would have done. Um, but if you're looking to take, to protect holding with holding in the team, but if you're looking to take holding out, then the best way to take holding out is to go to a back three and defend with a back four diamond and choose your wing backs, right? And um, that's the best way because you could use Kivio in that back three and have Gabriel as a central player and White on one side. Some people like Tierney in the back three. I think it can work for some minutes. I think Rob Holding's much happier in the back three than he is in the back four, you know? So, But that is throwing your principles away, you know? But sometimes a new system... What it does, it re-energizes people with new roles. And sometimes you just do this to keep people really alive and connected, you know, and they and they and they get re-enthused again. And I've I've often used new systems just to keep people awake, keep people going. And they get and, and so that's a possibility. And I and I would definitely think about it. But I must say that there was a point in that first half yesterday I was thinking, this has got to change. But then I went away from it as the game went away from us. I stopped thinking about it anymore because it was too late. But we look vulnerable. We're giving chances. He's getting nutmegged on goals. People are running off. He's not, he can't be aggressive. Can you imagine Rob Holden yesterday? He's probably thinking, I don't want to smash him. Last year I smashed Son and cost us a top four. I want to stay on this pitch. I don't want to go too tight. And that's exactly what they wanted. They didn't want him to be overly aggressive. They wanted him to be passive, and we were passive. And that c- mm. created one-on-ones all over. But I, to- I totally don't blame him. I really don't. He must have been in turmoil in that game before the game, just wondering if he was going to be the guy to let us down. You know? And um, and that's it. And I, so I don't blame him. I don't want it to be about one person. It's about the collective. We've, we've More than Rob... Rob Holding is a quality thing. But we have some quality players that have hit the wall at the same time. And we should hold our hands up and admit that. Yeah, it, it I, I reminded me... play better in the rest of the pitch. And, and it's a big question whether you, how much you want to change to get Rob holding off the pitch. I think it costs... To be clear, Paul, I agreed with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be wise after the fact. I felt we should play our 10 best players in their 10 best places and let Rob Holding do what Rob Holding could do. My worry is, after watching that game and the three that preceded it, is that teams have unlocked a little bit of a strategy sure. for dealing sure. with us in that in that setup. And the Rob Holding performance yesterday, it reminded me, you know what reminded me a little bit of is Marie against Lukaku. Like, just couldn't solve the when problem. When he ruined Lukaku's career at Chelsea from there on? Yeah, by letting by letting him get too cocky, too confident, <laughs> and it really, yeah, I mean, it just a problem. He he wasn't up to the level to solve, and maybe it is the case, by the way, that that we can solve other problems, and we shouldn't read too much into this. Um, I think I think we should leave it there. We can look ahead to Chelsea more on Monday. Um, there, 
I shudder to think what the rewatch is going to be like for this. I mean, like you talk about giving the people what they want. Like we're definitely going to be giving the people what they want over on the Patreon side of things. Um, City Vision post-match rewatch. It is it is weird because even though there have been down moments this season, I think it is the first really low moment where this team has dropped points, but I don't know that it's been outclassed in this way by anybody all season long. And so this, the struggle to process it is real. And I think that there's there's two ways you can go with it, right? You can go with the blame Arsenal for the things Arsenal did poorly, or you can go with the praise city to high heavens for being otherworldly. And the answer, as usual, is probably somewhere in between. Um, my regret on this day is not what happened to us defensively so much. Cause you could maybe see that in the mail. It's that we never, we never really imposed ourselves on the game. And I do want to give credit to Nelson's sub performance. I, I, I thought he was quite good. I thought Trissard was quite good. Nelson, Nelson has looked like a real player when he's played for us this season. And that's something that we might want to keep an eye on for the future. It's quite, it's quite but, interesting looking at the contrast between him and Smith Rowe. It's yeah. clear as day. People are looking at Vieira and Smith-Rowe, but you should be looking at Nelson Smith-Rowe. And look what Nelson does with his minutes versus what Smith-Rowe has done. And I know people say he hasn't had a chance, but just look at what your eyes are telling you. And you can see where the problem could be. N- Nelson's gone up a level. Yeah, and and like it, it's worth, it's worth talking about at some point. It is also a little bit difficult to evaluate games that are already gone when teams have somewhat shut off. And I, I mean, all they had to do, all city had to do was just decide to flip the switch back on just for a second. And they got their fourth. Um, I do feel for Smith Rowe though, right? Like he can't get on the pitch for Arsenal. When do you get on the pitch? Three nil down at the Eddie had like it, it is, you know, not not a moment to show yourself. Smith Rowe and Nelson are not the story. And I take your point. You want to mention the fact that, He's had yeah. a good performance. I think that's worth it. So I brought Smith Rowe into it probably unfairly, but yeah, still twenty hey, minutes for Smith Rowe. You know what I mean? It adds yeah. up. It's it's not in our not in our bed. It doesn't. All right, uh, let, let's leave it there. Look, everybody, process. Take a minute to process. I think we'll go into the Chelsea game properly fired up. I, I think they're the best opposition we could have in a way because it's at home, under the lights, a hated rival in a really bad moment. It's not some, you know, it's not some bottom of the league team scrapping relegation where we struggle to get up for it. Like you can always get up for Chelsea. They're not playing well. They've got very little to fight for and they're coming to our den. And I think that it will, it's the right, the right fixture. If we're going to get right, it feels like the right fixture. So let's see how we handle it. And we'll talk about that more uh, over the next few days. So we'll leave it there. Tim has already departed this mortal coil. Well, he hasn't departed the mortal coil. Mortal coil. He's departed the podcast. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Really interesting, right? Because once upon a time, we dissected results like this all the time. This podcast was forged in the fires of late Arsene Wenger and early Unai Emery. We used to just, this used to be where we lived and swam was d- dissecting disappointing <laughs> defeats in big games. It feels so unnatural breaking this down. We haven't had to do a, an episode on a game like this in a long time. And let's hope that uh, there is no return to our core our core values of breaking down disappointing <laughs> performances and that we can stick with what we learned this season. So be, be careful out there. Be nice to everybody. We love you. Thanks again to Andrew for his stunning contribution to the fundraiser, uh, contributing his April uh, proceeds to the fundraiser, which is now at just a, a staggering level. So thanks, everyone, for that. We'll leave it there carry on we keep hope alive and we see what happens we love you and we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 chelsea no
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.